Thanks, Chris. Good evening and welcome to Uni Church. My name's Rowan, one of the pastors here, and we've just been working through this new series called Songs of the King. Uh, Songs of the King is a series that looks at all different songs throughout the Scriptures and how they point to the King called Jesus, how they show you different aspects of who He is and what that means for us and helps us to think through the incredible nature of who Jesus is and what He's done and where He's taking all of humanity. So why don't you join with me tonight uh, and actually come to God now and pray and ask that by His Spirit He might help us to see what He has for us in the Songs of the King. Let's pray together. Father God, tonight as we come together, as we've just heard your word read, we ask that by your Spirit, you might shape us this evening. That your word would would show us a view of the world, a view of who we are, and a view of the future of the human race that changes how we live as we walk out these doors, that focuses us on what we live for. Lord, by your Spirit tonight, we ask that you would shape us and mold us and change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is the most glorious thing that you've ever seen? The thing that's shown the most amount of sparkle, the most amount of beauty, the most amount of, wow, that's incredible, the most awesome thing you've ever come across? Is it maybe an incredible sunrise like this? You know, a, a picture of the sun rising over Lake Wanaka, this amazing vista that God has laid out. Or perhaps for you, is it, is it maybe the, the intricate details that a telescope reveals of, of the moon and, and, and Saturn's rings, where you get to see something so far away, but up close and what it looks like? Or perhaps maybe it's, it's the miracle of a, of a newborn child's first breath. That moment they breathe and they're alive and you're like, wow, human life has come. Or perhaps it's the sacrifice of the human race, someone who's given an organ or their lives for the sake of another. And you think, that is incredibly glorious that you would lend this organ. Or perhaps for you, it's the the achievements of humanity. Seeing a rocket lift off into space, taking a massive payload of weight, and you're like, wow, look at what we can do. That is incredible. Or perhaps for you, it's the celebration when your team wins, say, the Cricket World Cup. (laughs) And you go, that is glorious, isn't it? It's amazing. (laughs) See, we live in a world that basks in the glory of so many sights and sounds and people, don't we? But the passage that Chris just read for us, we read of a glory that surpasses every other glory that we have ever experienced. It's a surprising glory because at first sight, it seems pretty run-of-the-mill, not very glorious. But as you start to get a glimpse of what's really going on and the song that the angels sing, you'll start to understand why this moment that Luke 2 records for us is so glorious, that it's an incredibly powerful reality that's at play that will captivate our vision for life and our focus of life. See, for lots of us, we spend our lives seeking glory. Perhaps the glory of another, seeking glory as fans. We we tell others about our heroes and those people that we follow and our interactions with them and how good they are. I don't know who your fans and your heroes are, but often we, we, we share of them and we speak of how great they are. And if someone says something negative about them, we're the first to jump in and kind of say, no, 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 no they're not like that. They're, they're really like this. That's <laughs> something I've noticed about myself is this kind of unconscious desire to be somehow related to those heroes and fans that we have, to famous people. Have you ever felt um, the desire to name drop? 
to kind of say, oh, I know that person. You know, someone talks about someone famous, and then, then you want to talk about someone famous. You're in a conversation, and someone mentions one of those heroes, and, and then you just feel the need to say, you know what? I once saw a signed record of theirs. And you're like, wow. <laughs> For me, growing up, I, I love the James Bond movies. There was something awesome about the 007 character, right? He just so kind of awesome cars, awesome action, just this great series. Some things that aren't as great. But Pierce Brosnan was the 007 that was like active when, when I was kind of in my late teens. He was the one that was like, wow, he's got it all sorted. He's got an Aston Martin. He can take people out with a shot. He's just this, this moment of class. Well, guess what? I went to university with his niece. I kid you not. I did. Her name was Adele. Uh, and her mum's sister married Pierce Brosnan. She, he married an Australian woman. And so I was at university for three years with Pierce Brosnan's niece. Do you see how special that makes me? Like, I'm amazing with a gun. You should see it. Like, it, it all has rubbed off, right? <laughs> Isn't it funny? That's pathetic in a way. But I wonder how many of you, as I was telling you about my connection to fame, actually went in your own heads, well, guess who I've met? You might have nudged someone next to you and gone, hey, I met so-and-so. Or you might be thinking later on, I'm going to tell my friends that I met this person or that they reached out to me or they rang me and asked me for advice. Or, you know, we're going to think through this all the time. We're somehow hardwired to seek glory, to bask in glory. And by some weird mode of transference, by telling others of meeting this person or, or something special that we've done, seeking glory for ourselves. As Luke opens chapter 2 of his gospel, he starts the account of the life of Jesus, reminding us of a glory of someone else that was seeking their own glory. Have a look at this. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire, or literally the whole known world, should be registered. Now, Luke here places the events of the life of Jesus under the kingship or the reign of the emperor Caesar Augustus and the time of his census. Right? The purpose of a census was to count how big you were as emperor, how vast your empire was, and how many people you could extract taxes from to make your life lavish. And so this chapter begins with a search for glory. A search for the self-proclaimed wonder and majestic greatness of Caesar Augustus and his reign over pretty much the entire known world. Here's a picture of him right here. Pretty kind of, fan well, it's not a picture, it's a statue that someone had done of Caesar Augustus. No idea what that little kid is doing right there at the bottom, but there's a legit statue. You can kind of see that. It's been restored, but here he is and he, he ruled. He was the first emperor of Rome. Incredible rule over the known world. And what we see here is the historical overlap with this event. This is not just something that goes on, the life of Jesus, in someone's head. This happened in real time, in a real place. Well, as he tried to proclaim his reign, what he didn't understand was he was just a mere pawn in the hands of the true king. His glory would simply be a flicker compared to the incredible brilliance of another type of glory. While Caesar Augustus gathered the entire Roman world to be counted, to glorify himself, the creator of the universe used this man's pride to make absolutely certain that true glory would be revealed 
so that you and I might bask in God's glory. So have a look at this. 500 years earlier, God spoke these words through the prophet Micah. He said this, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you have been seeing that we've been looking at these different songs of Scripture that point to a king like no other. Not merely some regional king or a king over a time-limited space. Not even just one of the superpowers of history, but the king of the universe. And what we've seen is that the arrival of God's promised king didn't come in a vacuum. It wasn't like he just popped on the world stage. It was like, surprise, here I am. It was like, whoa, who are you? No, God had been promising that this king would come for hundreds and hundreds of years. He'd been planning it. He'd been promising that Jesus would come, that he'd been proclaiming it since the beginning of time in the very first book of the Bible. Friends, I don't want you to miss the glory of the sign of Jesus turning up the way he did, nor the power and control of the God of the universe. While the seeming ruler of this world, Caesar Augustus, was glorifying himself, the true ruler of the universe, God, moved heaven and earth through the pride of a Roman emperor to bring about his plans and promises by moving a family of nobodies exactly where God wanted them and setting the stage for something truly incredible. God is glorious in his plan. He always fulfills his promises. So one of the reasons I'm so convinced about Christianity that it's true is you can't fake when these promises of Micah were written. You can't kind of say, oh, Jesus happened, and then they rewrote it like, a, like a, a movie author would and go back and write into the script, okay, well, we knew it would happen in this way, and so we go back. No, no, 500 years have gone past. There's no real doubt about that. It could have been longer, 700 possibly. But God promises that they'll come from Bethlehem. And it convinces me, so much so, because God keeps promising and what He says keeps happening. 500 years earlier in Micah, it was promised a king would come from Bethlehem. And now here in Luke 2, as we hear it tonight, through the self-glorification of a pagan emperor, through the whole world, now gets to see the glory of the true and living God. The God of the universe and His plan shows His glory. The question I want to ask us all tonight is, have you seen this glory of the creator of the universe? Have you seen His plan and how He always brings it to fruition and His control of, of human history? He, he's like no other. The idea that we're in control of anything, it's just mere fiction. The idea that we can control what happens in our lives. Caesar here planned to count his glory, his pride and self-glorification was the immediate driver of what he was trying to do, but it was ultimately the plan and purpose of God that was at work here. Friends, don't fall for the lie that you determine your own destiny. None of us do. That, that security comes when we are in control, when we get what we want. See, we, we spend our lives trying to find or build or buy happiness, seeking glory as if by our own achievements we can secure it. No true freedom is found in finding your place in the plans and promises of the God of the universe. Seeing His security, 
seeing His goodness, His purpose for your life and the whole world as we know it. Friends, the only scary thing about the future is trusting someone who's not in control of it. Let me say it again. The only scary thing about the future is trusting someone who's not in control of it. And every time we rely on ourselves, that's exactly what we do, isn't it? Every time we we think our plans and our purposes are going to bring apart our future, apart from God, that we don't need Him, we don't need to understand who He is or our place in His plan, we step into incredible insecurity. And a future that is void of the glory we were made to enjoy, the glory that comes from God and God alone. Or while the human king of the world masqueraded in his pretend glory, the true and living God did something incredibly glorious. Have a look with me at verse 6. While they were there, that's Joseph and Mary, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Do you see the irony here? In the most insignificant town, in the shed out the back, in the dish of a donkey, lay the creator of the universe. The one who before time began was wrapped in glory is now wrapped in rags, protecting him from the sheep poo and donkey saliva that would have been in the manger there at that time. It's incredible. Caesar's strutting his stuff on the world stage, counting his people while the creator of all things is in a donkey's dish. Why would he do it? Why would the creator of all things humble himself, humiliate himself to become part of his creation? I tell you one thing, God has a different view of the world than I do. The news of a baby born in a feeding trough, it doesn't look glorious to us. It looks weak and small and unimpressive. But be assured, in this humble and seemingly weak scene, there is an even greater glory in the humility of the creator of the universe and him stepping into his creation and coming to us. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he reflects a number of years later on the life of Jesus. Philippians 2.6, speaking of Jesus, he says this, who existing in the form of God didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited or sought after. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity and when he had come as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What incredible humility. What incredible glory that God would come close. When we seek glory for ourselves, we actually are seeking to become like God. We're seeking to step into his place to say, look at what I'm in control of, look at what I can do, which really isn't much on either account. And literally, seeking glory for ourselves, seeking to become like God, is the oldest lie in the book. Literally, if you get to Genesis 3, the serpent says to Eve these words, look, in fact, God knows when you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. (sighs) Knowing good and evil, Eve and Adam 
are there at the tree and they're like, I can have glory for myself. I can be like God. A human can become God. And that's what we've been trying to do ever since that moment in the garden. Become like God. Call the shots on our life. Seek glory for ourselves. Center the world around us and determine what is good and what is evil for ourselves. Living life our way. There's so many religions claim that you can become like God. or be... Mormonism teaches you that you can become a God. Hinduism and many other Eastern religions, they, they kind of all say you can become God-like in the future, divine, you can enter into that. New Age spirituality, like the stuff that Oprah Winfrey talks about. Um, it talks about um, pantheism or panentheism. Pantheism is where um, God is everything, everything is God, and panentheism is there's a little bit of God in everything. That's, that's the way that they work. What they're saying is there's a bit of the divine everywhere you go, including a tree. The tree is kind of godlike. I'm kind of godlike, not just in the image of God. There's a little bit of God in each and every one of us. But the Bible makes a very different claim. A person cannot become God. Jesus didn't become God. But here true glory is found in God becoming like us. The Creator stepping into His creation and meeting us where we're at, in our need, and welcoming us into His family. We get so excited when fame comes near to us, right? If you've ever seen someone famous, you're like, oh, I saw a famous person the other day. I was, I was sitting in a cafe, and I turned around, and they were there. It was, was amazing, and we, we get excited about it. Um, our girls recently at, um, at school, they're intermediate. Uh, they had a musician come along to school. They weren't sure who it was, had a bit of a stage. They went down onto the, onto the um, back bit of grass where it was. And then Ed Sheeran walked out. And they're like, wow, we've got a concert with Ed Sheeran. And one, one of my daughters, um, Lara, she, she was saying, oh, we were there. And we all, our, there's only 600 of us girl, um, in, in all of the school there gathered around this photo for Ed Sheeran. And I was at the front and people pushed me forward. And she said, guess what? I touched him. I'm like, you touched Ed Sheeran. She's like, uh-huh. She was so excited about, I've actually touched Ed Sheeran. He was so cool. Here in Luke 2, we hear this. God came to town. And that is something to get excited about. That God himself stepped into creation. Our creator. How incredible. No wonder the first century people who had experienced who Jesus is and what he had done couldn't stop but tell others around of what he had done for them and who he was because God came to town. There's this incredible glory. You'd expect in this moment a massive entourage, brass bands, fireworks, all these people coming along, big parades of people. God's come, everyone. Woo, this is amazing. Do you know when Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, when they visited New Zealand in 2018... Do you know we as a nation spent $1 million on their trip to New Zealand for five days? $200,000 a day we spent going, whoa, they're here. This is amazing. And he wasn't even the crown prince. In his words, he's just a spare. And we spent a million dollars for five days on the spare. Well, Luke shifts the scene from this humble donkey's shed to a bunch of shepherds nobody's in the eyes of the world, kind of standing around, scratching themselves, watching their sheep. There's probably a few fleas and kind of like a few bleats of, of kind of animals. They're in this, this field pretty close to Jerusalem. And Luke shifts our focus there so that we might witness a glory that's out of this world. We might understand more of the gravity of who has come near. We might see the incomparable glory of Jesus. 
Come with me, Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Then an angel of the Lord stood before the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, that is, the promised King, the Lord. Hear these shepherds, hear these words of an angel saying, today the promised King, the one that had been spoken of in Micah, that had been spoken of from so long ago, had come and was here. The angel's message is here reported as good news. It's the word um, gospel, euangelion. It's where we get Auckland EV from. The EV is short for evangelical which is kind of a, a transliteration of the word euangelion, which means gospel. It's a Greek word that means it's the news, it's momentous news. That's why we as a church are called Auckland AV, because we're a church that's centered on the momentous news that God came to town, that Jesus stepped into our world. Don't be afraid, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What was it? That that very day, God's promised King had come. In the face of the self-glorification of Caesar, God turns up and turns on the light, showing the brilliance, the grandeur, the, the splendor of the true and living God and His glory. Look at verse 13. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host, heavenly armies, that's what host means, with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people He favors. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. When I was 16, we had an exchange student come from America and live with our family uh, for a year. And towards the end of that year, um, there, there was a, a trip around kind of three quarters of Australia that these exchange students did. And I was allowed to go along with them for, for about three weeks uh, and kind of see some of the sites. And we went through the outback right up the middle of, of Australia into where Ayers Rock is. And, and in the middle of Australia, there's literally nothing. Like, it's just, it's just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of just sand and just little, little bits of nothing and road. And it's just nothing out there. And one of the great joys of being out there was we camped uh, most of the nights in these tents that were in the two buses that went around with this exchange student group. And I remember one morning, we're in the middle of nowhere, no lights to be seen, nothing at all, just the horizon is dead flat everywhere. And I started, it was early in the morning, just hearing some people kind of, oh, look at this, like whispering and people talking through stuff. And so I, I zipped open the tent and the sky was just covered in stars from horizon to horizon. It was incredible. Here's a, a picture I kind of got of something that was similar, right? Just as the sun started to rise, there was just, it was like the stars were breaking through the whole of the sky that we were under some dome. It was incredible, I don't know if you've ever walked outside on a really clear night where there's not much other light around and you've seen just the amazing wonder of the, the sparkle of the stars. Well, imagine that picture, except instead of seeing light reflected off stones in the universe, you saw lights for God the Son. Imagine the feeling on your face is, as you looked up and what covered the sky from horizon to horizon wasn't these distant rocks, but people, angels, God's army, lined up in their battalions, line across line, across line, across line, and it filled the sky that you could see, an immeasurable army. Imagine the warmth from their light, 
the brightness and the glory on your face. And then, and then comes their song. Glory to God on the highest and peace on earth to all people he favors. Imagine them saying that, chanting that, and, and, and hearing that noise boom toward you. If the shepherds were terrified with fear at the sight of one angel, how do you think they felt when they saw God's armies lined up across the sky, singing, praising, glory to God on the highest? Incredible sight, incredible moment, if you can try and imagine it. But why did they do it? Because that day, that day in Luke 2, is the most important day in human history. It's the day God became man. And on that day, He brings great, great news. Look at verse 10. Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah. Ever since God said to Satan that he would raise up a descendant of Eve who will crush the serpent's head, we've been waiting for a deliverer. Ever since God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 that from your seed, your descendant would come the one who the whole entire world will be blessed, we've been waiting for that descendant. Ever since God said to David that a son would come, your son, and he would rule on the throne forever, that he would be the king over all and put, put away all injustices and all evil and all wrong, we've been waiting for a saviour. Ever since God spoke through Micah, we've been waiting for the saviour. The moment that the entirety of human history has been waiting for has come here in Luke 2. And we live on this side, no more waiting, no more wondering when he will come, when will God step into our world Today, says the angel, and then they light up the sky. A saviour has been born. What a song. What a moment. Can you imagine being there? In our world of codependent relationships, we have this incessant drive for significance. In our careers, in our social status, in our finance, in the pursuit of the, the lottery win, or the idealism of politics, or, or the idea of education. If we, if we could just sort out education and, and just get some good leaders and just get some more money and some better relationships, then life would be okay. All of us are looking for a saviour somewhere. In an election year, I'm glad it's Jesus who rules the universe, not politicians. Because we need a saviour as much in the 21st century as the 1st century did. On that day, God came in person so that we would know him and not miss him. So that we could be in right relationship with him. Let me ask you tonight, friends. Have you seen God's glory revealed in Jesus? Brighter than the brightest star, louder than the loudest thunder, larger than the largest army. A baby who looked like nothing, who's laughed at and mocked and relegated to a back shed, who the world around us just treats at best as a moral story, brought an event that outshone the sun, that filled the sky with multitude upon multitude of armies of the messages of God. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favours. 
We live in a world longing for peace, don't we? We've got war going on in so many places across this world. But the peace that Jesus brings is a better peace than just a ceasefire for a moment or for a decade or for a thousand years. The peace that God brings is peace between us and Him. Peace between us and God. Forgiveness for turning our backs on Him. Right relationship with this God. Here is God's peace. Here is God's favor on us, drawing us back into relationship with Him. Here is God's glory. Friends, if you're looking for life, He's here in the person of Jesus. If you're looking for peace, not just any peace, but peace with God, forgiveness, He is here. The amazingness that lit up the night sky wasn't the lights, wasn't the armies, it was words. Simple, plain and clear words. Today, a Saviour who is the promised King, the Messiah, is born. And the words that are incredible are the next two. For you. For you. This is extraordinary. That, that Jesus came for me and for you. That, that, are, that a wretch like me, that someone who's turned my back on God, that is always focused on trying to see my own glory and trying to achieve my own significance and security. Someone who's deserving of death and judgment and, and, and hell because I've rejected the God who gives life. That for me, a Savior has been born. That He has come to draw me into relationship with God Himself. That I could call God my Father. And the new creation my home because Jesus came. This changes the way I view everything, doesn't it? Change the way we view the world and what we're here for and our purpose and our lives. Jesus came to bring you and me salvation. Think about this, friends. When my greatest need is filled, what more could I want? What pursuit of life could be more important and seeing I'm now in a relationship with the creator of the universe, that he's forgiven my sins, that he's got a new future for me. What career is worth diverting my attention away from Jesus? That will become the most important thing rather than him. None. What relationship could be more significant than the relationship of being called his child and having an eternity with God and his people? What possession could be more satisfying knowing I'm a chosen child of God and that my future will last forever, forever, forever. What in this life could possibly be worth taking my focus off Jesus for, even for one second? The answer is nothing. The angels lined up across the sky tell us nothing. This is the one. This is the moment. This is the glory to seek being a part of. On that day in Luke 2, a Saviour, who was the promised King, was born for you. We keep bringing up these moments where we got to touch fame, we get to touch glory. Friends, God has turned up for you, for you. And when you really see the glory of God, when you understand who He is and what He has done, when you see the glorious nature of this moment, there's an incredibly powerful reality at play because it changes where you seek glory yourself it changes who and what you live for and it captivates the vision and the focus of our lives 
In 2018, I got the opportunity to um, go and study a master's paper in archaeology and the archaeological backgrounds of Christianity in Jerusalem. I got to spend uh, just over three weeks there and, and uh, with a couple of lecturers and looking at all the different archaeological sites and see kind of some of the things that we can understand about the geography and about the archaeological remains that were there and write up a, ma- a master's kind of paper on how we can understand and how these kind of help us to understand God's Word. And one of the sites that we visited was um, actually a site called the Shepherd's Field. Here's a photo of it. It's, it's most probably the field that is the shepherds are gathered in on that night. It's the only real field that's quite close to the city of Jerusalem. It's just off to the left. You see some things on the hills on the left there. That's where Jerusalem kind of starts. It's the closest one. And so they're pretty sure that this is the field that the shepherds were in that night, right by the city of Jerusalem. And when I was there in that field, I thought, I might just, I heard it was pretty legit. I might pick up this rock. And so I found this rock. It's from that field. And what's incredible about this rock is most probably... On that night that the, the sky lit up with angels, this rock was there, right? It might have been buried below, or it could have been that someone put this here a bit later, but who knows? But this rock was there on the ground in that field. That's where I picked it up from. And, and it saw and heard that voice, that, that light. It felt the warmth and the thundering voices. Today, in the city of David, was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Like, if this rock could speak... I'm sure it would be singing at the top of its voice. Have you seen Jesus? The Messiah has come. He's incredible. He's the one who's come to save the world. He brings us peace with God. He is glorious. Imagine if this rock could talk what it would say. We don't need a talking rock, do we? Because history records the events and what they mean for us. The shepherds, We've got their testimony. Jesus' family, they saw who he is and what he has done. His followers, they all record the glory of the king. And what's incredible is all these people who knew Jesus, who saw who he was, gave their lives to following him. They didn't worship the emperor like everyone else had to. They rejected the emperor and most of them died for it because... In Jesus, they met their maker. They were convinced. They'd seen his works. They'd seen what he'd done. They willingly died, holding on to the fact that Jesus was God with them and that he was coming back again to judge the living and the dead. The glory that appeared to those shepherds on that field that day changed the way they lived. Tonight, friends, I want to challenge us all. Do not be like this rock who has seen the glory of Jesus and done nothing about it who sat there dormant for 2,000 years going, yeah, I've seen it, but I can't speak, I won't speak. Don't you think it's time to quit living for short-lived glory? Don't you think it's time to quit pretending that we've got something special to offer this world or that we can achieve amazing things compared to the glory of God? Don't you think it's time to stop seeking our own glory and fall to our knees before God the Son? to let our lives be shaped by Him and what He offers. There is none like Him. He has lived the perfect life. He has died in our place. He is coming back again. Friend, it's, it's in recognizing the glory of God that we find peace with God that lasts forever. We find significance and worth and purpose and we get to enjoy and bask in glory, the glory that we were made to bask in, not these half-baked Pierce Brosnan's nieces, friends, uncle, none of that. We get to find significance in being able to call God our Father, 
and the new creation, our home, and Jesus, our brother, knowing that he is the creator of all things. One of the things that amazes me is the way Jesus' family responds to him. If any of you have grown up in a family and you've got brothers and sisters, you know that often you, you don't think that highly of them. You know, sometimes brothers or sisters tend to kind of act in a way as if they, they're in the world or they made the world. And I don't think it was any different in, in Jesus' family. But we get this testimony of Jesus' brother Jude in Jude verse 24. Listen to the way he speaks of his own brother and think, would I speak this way of my brother or sister? Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord and my brother be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Friends, Jude saw that his brother was no mere earthly brother, but he was God become flesh and it changed the way he lived. I encourage you tonight to let the glory that the shepherds saw that evening, the glory of God, change the way you live. That you treat Jesus as your king and you see the salvation he's brought and that shape what you live for and where you seek glory in. Friends, seeking the glory of God and pointing the world around to him is what you were made for. So can I encourage you tonight? Live in the light of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we confess that so often we muck around pretending that we have something glorious to offer. We seek glory in so many places, whether by association or by pointing to ourselves, albeit humbly, in so many ways and times we, we think too much of ourselves and too little of you. We ask tonight that this historical account of what happened in the face of Caesar's self-proclamation would help us to see how incredible your humility is and how glorious you are. That Jesus would come, that God would become flesh, and that through his death in our place, we might know you and call you our Father and have our sins forgiven so we might have peace with you. Lord God, we ask tonight that the glory that was shown in that shepherd's field would shape who we live for and what we do with our lives. That would shape the way we think about our purpose and our priorities and what we speak of and what security we have. We ask tonight that you would shape us by the glory you've shown in Jesus so we might live for you. We are so thankful for what you've done for us that we could be called part of your family. And we ask tonight that you would help us to seek that glory. Jesus' name held high in this city, that we'd be so captured by who you are and what you've done, so grounded in the historical realities of who you are, that we might be sent out from your word, changed, and live our lives for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful, and if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.